Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. In the 1950s and 60s, Hong Kong was a major manufacturing base in the world. Toys, transistors, watches were all made in Hong Kong. Some 2,000 years ago, it also manufactured salt. We have mines and mills, but Hong Kong's industrial heritage is very unsung, which is why long-time resident Hugh Farmer has started a website to uncover many of the stories associated with our past factories, workers and machinery. I'm from Cambridge in England originally, which is about as far away from an industrial town as you can possibly imagine. Even Oxford has its car industry. And when I went on to um, my further studies, I think I made a deliberate choice to go somewhere completely different so I did I went to Sheffield and Sheffield as is well known is is a heavily industrialized uh, city with steel and engineering I loved it so in northern England in northern England yeah yeah and uh, then I went down to London and I joined something called the Greater London Industrial Archaeology Society that was never active but I just kind of wandered around then when I came to Hong Kong I've I started hiking around Hong Kong immediately, hundreds and hundreds of walks, all the famous outdoor places, Thailand One, but also the industrial areas. So walking around Chun Wan and Aberdeen and Tokyo Wan and all sorts of places, and it just got me interested. So we're going to have a look at um, a couple of the stories that you've discovered in your yeah. research. Is there quite an interest, or is that gradually building? I think probably not very much generally in Hong Kong. I think one of the reasons I got interested and thought I would actually do something formally was because it seems to me a very rapidly disappearing part of Hong Kong's history. When I was a child back in Cambridge, I remember, as you may do if you're old enough, that made in Hong Kong period, which was which was incredible. Everything you bought seemed to come from Hong Kong or Japan, toys, watches, textiles. And that period now, when Hong Kong was a major industrial centre, seems to be being forgotten. And the, the actual physical remains have also seemed to be disappearing. So I thought it would be important to try and gather the information about it. Now, there was a recent book, I remember just about 18 months ago, Toy Town uh, yep. came out. That was uh, looking at uh, the toy factories here, right. the, the great contribution of uh, the Chu Chow refugees as they mm. came to Hong Kong. Um, so that great surge uh, in, in the 50s and 60s, also these um, probably dangerous in places, um, home factories as well. But as you say, yes, it was back in the back in the 60s, 70s, this made in Hong Kong. I also remember the toys in crackers mm. were made in Hong Kong and mm. Taiwan. Um, but um, and, and made not particularly in in uh, registered legal factories, but a lot of it home production and also in squatter camps. The squatter camps up in Shepkit May and uh, Diamond Hill that are now disappeared largely because of the development of public housing. So it's all rather kind of undercover, a lot of the industri- industrial uh, production in Hong Kong. Yes, because Kuantong would be another area. Kuantong was important. That was much more formalised. That was much more factories. It was more the kind of squatter camps that got me interested as well, up in the Kowloon foothills and so on. So your idea with the website about industrial history here, mm. is that to inform uh, the readers, garner perhaps more information I'm not quite sure. It's it's developed pretty much <laughs> ad hoc as I've gone along, really, and I'm not quite sure what direction we're going to go to or how we're going to end up. But I felt it just there needed to be a central point where I could collect information mm. and where people interested, either as amateurs or as academics or professionals, could could 
focus in and, and gather all this material together. It would just be in a single area. So that's what I'm doing with the website now. And slowly, slowly, that's starting to take off and people are contributing on a wide range of subjects. And also, as you say, some of these districts are uh, falling victim to, um, you know, increasing housing policy or um, uh, other developments, private developments as well. So is it, do you think that we should all be out with our cameras? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's not it's not pretty Hong Kong industry, is it? It's not like some of these lovely old mills that you've got in the north of England, which have been turned into museums and and are just kind of visually charming. Hong Kong isn't like that, I don't think. A lot of the factories that are there now are not particularly interesting. But what was there is impressive. I mean, Hong Kong has has an extremely long industrial history. If you think about salt, that goes back at least 2,000 years here. Some of the quarrying goes back, and a lot of it continued for, for several hundred years up to when the British colonies started. And a lot of Chinese industries started just very shortly after, after 1840 when Hong Kong came into uh, place. So you're saying that uh, salt goes back how long? At least 2,000 years, as far as I know. And it was manufactured here, you know, yeah. in the sense that, I mean, dried from the sea, was it? Yeah, or? yeah, like at Taiyo. The famous one is Taiyo, but all over parts of Taipo and uh, Muiwo, there were salt pans and things. So that, that kind of industry goes, goes, goes. Uh, so we're interested in anything in this group. And also, I think I started off thinking it would be mainly about manufacturing. But now I've got contributions coming in about transport. Somebody writes about rickshaws being made here and tricycles being made here. And there's stuff about mines that I'm particularly interested in because Hong Kong had about 25 commercial mines, which are all, all shut down. But yeah, tell me about a couple. Some of the names that remain like Silver Mine Bay. Some of the big mines were things like Maron Shan, which is a huge iron mine up on the mountain of Maron Shan, going down towards where Maron Shan Newtown is, and that went on for about 70 years. Needle Hill was another one that had an interesting history. And they all employed thousands of people, and they're all, I suppose the mines are still there. But when we go round, say, like the Hong Kong Museum of History or the mm. Hong Kong Heritage Museum, um, does the Hong Kong Museum of History have anything to do with uh, industrial history? I've only been a couple of times, and the bit that I'm really interested in is that Made in Hong Kong period, when they have a couple of rooms of the things that were manufactured post-Second World War, the torches, the cameras, the lanterns. Uh, transistor radios. Transistor radios, all those sorts of things. But I don't think they have too much. They have something on salt, I know, but I don't think they have too much on the, on the pre-colonial industry that went on. Because I agree with you that perhaps the aesthetics of the buildings aren't quite the brick, the tall chimneys <laughs> yeah. um, that uh, that there were in northern England along mm. with the brass bands. But um, right. in a sense, uh, perhaps in the same way as marking the first, uh, the, the Mark One, the Mark Two housing settlements at Shepkip May, mm. the, for public, the first public housing mm. uh, in light of the squatter fires, um, perhaps uh, you know, something similar could be done to, to mark the industrial history perhaps. Well, I think the ultimate, ultimate aim of this group would be to get an industrial history museum. I spent part of this each summer in Greece with my wife on a small island. And this island has its own industrial history museum, a small Greek island. And as I've publicised through my newsletters, it seems that if a small Greek island, Greece of all places now, can have an industrial museum, then surely mighty Hong Kong which employed hundreds of thousands of people and at certain periods of time was the largest toy industry manufacturer in the world, the largest watch manufacturer, then we could have our own museum. 
I think it's certainly something to be celebrated also from the perspective of I mean you know I think it's it's marked in Hong Kong as a period of really everybody kind of pulling together this this Mm. can-do attitude. Mm. I also look at it as a a terrible time of exploitation. You'd have had a lot of uh, industrial accidents, that sort of thing, and and very little protection. Very little protection. The trade union movement wasn't very well developed, uh, very exploitive. No minimum wage. No no minimum wage. (laughs) Very low paid. uh, High accident rates. Yeah, all of that was going on here. I don't know if you know about flatted factories. I don't know about flatted factories. <laughs> is it something that IKEA creates? It's it, 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 it almost as simple as that. <laughs> you talked about Shepkit May, but following the Shepkit May fire of uh, Christmas '53, I think it was, that led the Hong Kong government to to instigate public housing, but also in an effort to clear the squatter camps for whatever reasons, they they hit upon the idea of having to make very or making very cheap, extremely quick factories, which are called flatted factories, very odd name and there are still some around Hong Kong Uh, generally there are about 7 or 9 stories and they would have about 600 units within them, so that means you'd have 600 businesses, each tiny, the size of a Hong Kong flat 350 square foot, with maybe 2 or 3 people working in each one and these these were scattered throughout Hong Kong there's still one in Chai Wan, there's one up in Shepkit May that's been converted into an artist centre so that's another facet of, of Hong Kong's um, industrial history, that there's actually a form of architecture that was built that is almost unique to Hong Kong. I think there's some in Taiwan, there might be some in Singapore, but flatted factories are a unique Hong Kong f- industrial feature, and it should be preserved in some way. You were remarking on the, the salt manufacturing that goes back 2,000 years or uh, approximately in Hong yeah. Kong. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, making incense or, or extracting incense, I should think. Right. Well, I, th- I think incense is one of the one of the kind of most fascinating industries that took place in Hong Kong. Partly because, as is well known, the origins of the name Hong Kong, Hong Kong, comes from Fragrant Harbour, and the Fragrant Harbour came about because when people came into the harbour and came into the area, they would smell the incense that was being crushed, that was being milled through many, many mills in various parts of Hong Kong for making joss sticks, for making incense sticks. And this industry goes back at least 400 years, and the ones that I'm most interested in were the water mills. These were found in various areas of Hong Kong, particularly around Chun Wan on Tai Mo Shan, and on the other side of Tai Mo Shan, but Tai Po, and also I think in Tai Wai. And there were at least uh, 40 or 50 of them operating during the 19th century and going into the 1920s water powered they must have been slightly seasonal because I can't imagine in the middle of winter there'd be enough water to get these fairly mighty pounding mills going. The industry is supposed to have stopped because of partly because of the building of the Shingmun Reservoir which was known as the Jubilee Reservoir which is up on Taimushan and that probably interfered with the uh, water amount of water that was coming down and also then I think the mills became finally electrical in Chun Wan and then disappeared in the 60s. But that, that wasn't the only kind of mills that, that Hong Kong had? No, no, Hong Kong had a very well-known flour mill, which became known and still known as Rennie's Mill. If you lived in Hong Kong prior to 97, then you will, you will have known Rennie's Mill, which was known as Turken Leng, and was the place that the Kuomintang went to or was sent to when they arrived uh, post-1949 and came into Hong Kong from China. 
This was a remote area, and in English, the name. So the, the Kuomintang, the nationalists the from nationalists China, came over. They were they were an embarrassment. This is a political thing, not an industrial thing, but they were a slight embarrassment to Hong Kong government. So they were kind of pushed and sent to this area, quite remote area, which is now Chongquangou, and formed a quite large, substantial town there, which became known as Rennie's Mill in English. However, the confusion is that Rennie's Mill was actually a real mill. And that was built, vast project, very close to what became the town of Rennes Mill. This is all very confusing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're Rennes, explaining it very well. Were you Re a teacher? <laughs> yes. How did you guess? And Rennes Mill, it was actually named after a very interesting Canadian guy called Alfred Herbert Rennie. And he came to Hong Kong as a, as a rep selling flour for an American company called Portland Flowering Mills and was extremely successful as their main agent selling flour in China. However, he then decided he could not only sell it flour for somebody else, he could sell it himself and also mill it himself. So he rounded up a lot of money. He got a lot of money from uh, quite well-known Hong Kong business people like Paul Chater and H.M. Modi at the latter very beginning of the 20th century and he opened up this mill in what is now called Rennie's Mill but was actually the Hong Kong Milling Company. He had problems immediately. It opened in 1907. One of them was that the Chinese buyers remained loyal to the original company, not his. He His mill was far too big. It's vast. You can see pictures of it on my website. He brought some Indian wheat in to, which can weevils so that didn't help he then uh, couldn't get rid of mill feed and the, the, the North American millers used to have as a byproduct mill feed which they'd sell to pig farmers so he bought pigs Mr Rennie but his pigs all died so everything was rather catastrophic then he started lying about how much profit he was making how the business was doing and within about a year it all came to a catastrophic end and on the 14th of April 1908, Mr. Rennie was on his way to the mill in his company boat, so sailing, I think, from Central out towards Rennie's mill. And as he was going past Leiyu Moon, he rushed out of his cabin with a dispatch box tied around his neck and jumped overboard. My thanks to Hugh Farmer, creator of the Hong Kong Industrial History website. For his website, put Industrial History Hong Kong or Hugh Farmer Hong Kong into Google to have a look at the photos and stories. Hugh needs your help. If you have tales of industrial history to write on his website, then let him know. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.